The world around us is changing rapidly. Fundraisers and nonprofit marketers like you have to be flexible and innovative to continue to overcome the challenges you face. We're Pursuant, and we're here to provide you with the tools, insights, and strategies you need to get you where you want to go. You're tuned in to the Pursuant Listening Experience. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pursuant Go Beyond podcast. I'm your host, Leah Davenport, and today we are joined by Mary Beth McIntyre, founder and principal consultant at Win Win Giving, for the second part of our interview with her around the metrics that matter for tracking the health of your fundraising efforts. We also have with us our Pursuant Giving DNA General Manager, Rebecca Segovia. And uh, we will be discussing in the second part of our conversation, organizational silos and how they can get in the way of good fundraising and good communication from the different departments in your organization. So let's dive right in. Mary Beth, what is an organizational silo? And why do we use this word to kind of describe this phenomenon that tends to pop up in both for-profit companies and nonprofit organizations alike? Well, I guess it's not because we all collectively have a farming background, but, um, (laughs) you know, so that is at the heart of what we all came from. You know, I think for me, I use the term because like oftentimes teams are measured on, you know, specific revenue goals or program goals from what they own. And subsequently, sometimes their partners or consultants are measured on the same ones. So to me, sometimes it's almost like those um, financial or organizational requirements create the silo. And we talk about them that way because many times your constituents are connecting across those areas. So, you know, I guess we refer to it because, you know, everyone is based on what they're measured on. And that's often in these, you know, kind of pieces of the pie or silos. And, you know, it's around a particular channel, a particular initiative, that type of thing. And, you know, Becca, I'm sure you'll have different views. You know, when we talk about it, it's also just in addition to that, we're not saying that's not important, but beginning to think about, you know, how the constituent, the donor, the beneficiary, you know, how they're impacted across these different silos because, you know, and again, that's an additional view that can contribute to how we should communicate to them or not, you know, what the cadence, you know, all, all those type of things. And I know where Becca and I have connected in the past is we often approach it using data <laughs> because mm-hmm. everyone assumes they know all the pieces in their silo and, you know, just to really engage the conversation. So we, we refer to it as data as the diplomat in those type of discussions. Becca, anything you'd add? said some of my favorite words, data is a diplomat. We we used to say prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. So like letting the data sit at the heart of it and then help guide the discussion. And I loved your point on donor centricity or, or even community centricity around an organization. Oftentimes, you know, depending on how you came in, whether it was as an event donor or a digital donor off of a Giving Tuesday, who owns that donor? Is it, you know, is it dependent on how much they gave for their first gift? But they're like, let's say I gave a $25 gift, but I have capacity to give a $25,000 gift. Like, are you asking right. those kind of questions? And then how do you get annual fund, mid-level and major and plan to play well together sometimes just inside of fundraising? And then sometimes acquisition or events is actually owned by marketing. And so is there a common core case for support that everybody is rooted in so that the donor experience is a holistic one? So. It is a challenge that I think our organizations face 
across the board. And I think it's it's not just a nonprofit challenge. Sometimes it's a for-profit challenge as well. And so being able to put the customer or the donor at the center of the conversation or the community at the center of the conversation and then organizing our work so that we can drive greater lifetime value or donor loyalty is really the point. And so that's where silo busting kind of comes in and allows us yeah. to say, okay, here's what we're seeing. Now, how do we work together in order to drive that lifetime value or that customer centricity or that um, donor loyalty? Yeah. And I think, you know, just adding to it before your next point, Leah, is, is again, none of those measures are unimportant, you know, how we acquire them, you know, all all those different pieces. But when you step back and you look at how they're interacting across, there might be additional measures and, you know, like that journey, how we measure Mm -hmm. it, how we're all rewarded on it. Because if we're just rewarded on what we do in that silo, you know, that's where sometimes the constituent Mm -hmm. or the donor, we can short service them. (laughs) Short change the experience, which isn't, I I don't think is at the heart of any of us, you know, at all. We're no, and no one intends to, to do it. Yeah, it's yeah. unintended. Yeah. Right. But we're just not measured on it yet. You know, so I think yeah. it's this process and, and that comes to the busting, you know, what new, you know, kind of data do we need to integrate to support that? And, you know, that that's kind of the process. I'd like to back up just a little bit and think about from this donor centric perspective that both of you ladies both brought up. What can a donor experience look like when there are really rigid silos in organizations? You know, either one of you want to chime in with, you know, what's the negative experience that a donor could have when some of these things are in place? Something that I have experienced personally, when you come in through a couple of different channels, like I gave through digital, and then I also went to an event and gave in a different way. The follow-up was very different. The messaging was very different. I have heard of organizations or people that have given to organizations where they may get 10 or 12 different emails from 10 or 12 different people (laughs) at any given time. There's not a rhythm to the experience on the donor side. And so when we can solve for that and data actually helps you do that, if we can capture the right data points and then look holistically across the donor experience, we can say, okay, this person came in and gave a digital gift this way. They came and gave an event or they attended an event this way. They gave through peer to peer this way. We can then say, okay, this is what that whole person looks like. This is actually what their collective giving is. And then create a narrative or a story that is reflective of how they gave, why they gave, what motivated them to give in that particular moment. And then continue that conversation around the things that are important to them to, again, drive that donor lifetime value and that donor loyalty. So we want to create the good experience, not the experience of someone feeling on the other end that, hey, people internally aren't really talking here. They don't realize that I just gave, you know, two different gifts within, you know, whatever the period of time was or three different gifts in whatever period of time. Yeah. And and then, you know, sometimes there are, in addition to that, because I, I completely yeah. concur, yeah. and especially the past year where we've had channels kind of float or be closed down for a bit, you know, that all kind of contributes to the cadence. But, you know, one of the other things that can be an impact on on the constituent is just if it's not coordinated, as Becca was saying, you know, if you sort of say, don't touch my donor, you know, like sometimes it leads to that, you know, sort of cornering them off and then they just drop off of that channel, like who's taking care of them and communicating. So you can be getting too much communication and the flip side is nothing. Not <laughs> yes, it's yeah. a constant re- reviewing of you know how it's all 
connected. And again, no one's like intentionally trying to impact that experience, but it just happens because of the operational pieces. So consistently revisiting it and thinking about it, as Becca said, with that, you know, kind of the constituent or the donor in mind. I actually had a client, I love that you brought that up, Mary Beth, that was on the flip side of it. Sometimes it's over-communicating, which is what I was originally talking about, but sometimes it's under-communicating, especially as you get up the pyramid. And there's research out there that, you know, major donors are actually really in tune with your organization. It's important to them. They're giving to you at that level. And sometimes we'll become overprotective and we'll not let a digital communication go out or we'll not let a direct mail communication go out that is actually potentially important to them and may lead to another gift. And so I think it's important to kind of measure the type of communications that your donors want from you at every level of the pyramid so that you're not leaving them out of communication that could actually continue that affinity to your organization and potentially create surprise and delight opportunities for dollars to come in. Right. And I think that then leads to, you know, I think probably where you were going to go, Leah, which is, you know, what are some of the steps to breaking them down? And, you know, and I think a lot of that is encouraging those conversations. So if you, you know, you have the the situation where you're under communicating, which may be because of excludes or blackouts or whatever that is, you know, sitting down at the table and using the data to show if you, you know, treat them more consistently, you know, one plus one equals three, right? <laughs> Usually it's, it's going to be better. You know, could we personalize it on behalf of the gift officer or something? You know, if the communication's going out, it's just finding what are those, you know, what are the barriers where they don't want you to touch them? And you, you know, today's times we can make, whether it's an email, a letter, we can make them so personal based on the information. And that can help break down some of the silos or really trust. You know, I I just think, but you have to have those conversations. So, you know, what each party is trying to protect (laughs) and that can help. Yeah, those are some of my favorite. I don't know about you, Mary Beth. Those are some of my favorite conversations to have is to pull kind of all the leaders in the room and sometimes people from their team. It can be a big room sometimes, but yeah. to put the customer at the center of the room and then start to actually map and talk about what we want that journey or that donor experience to be and then see how we all play a role in it. So you've got people from major gifts and planned and annual and mid and marketing and events, depending on the size and type of the organization, all in a room contributing to that conversation. Um, At Pursuant, we do a lot of either whiteboard work or mural work with that to start to collect all that data. And sometimes it's amazing to see all the different ways that we could touch a donor, but then to think about it from their point of view and place emphasis in the right communications at the right time to the right person, really important. And I love watching it in a room when kind of the light bulb moments go off and, and they're like, oh, well, if we just said these three things, it, it solves these five things. And then we want to collect, right. we want to capture these four or five data points, well, which will then influence like how these teams start to work better together. And so data obviously kind of sits at the heartbeat of that, but it's a really a magical moment when you can see all the teams start to row in the same direction towards the same effort of putting the donor at the center and having the right conversations. Well, and, you know, great point, because I I think it's also a combination of the data supporting it. It's also understanding what each part is bringing to the table, because I think sometimes you feel like you have to do it all on your own. And the situations you're describing, you know, that for me is when people are like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. Or, you know, that would be great. You know what? I don't know why we said no five years ago that they should never receive that. That sounds perfect. You know, then I can focus on these other five things. And again, 
you know, part of this concept, you know, kind of those type of engagements you're describing, but then it's also recognizing when there can be shared measures. So if we do all that right and it's combined, you know, does the retention rate go up or the reactivation rate or the revenue per donor and, you know, recognizing there was that combination and support of each other in, you know, managing that journey that will move that needle. Are you asking questions about your fundraising data, but are struggling to find actionable insights? Pursuance Giving DNA Platform is here to help. We combine your constituent data, donation data, third-party information, and tack on augmented intelligence to provide you with insights about who is giving to you, what motivates them to give, and which channels through which they prefer to engage. The platform also comes with baked-in opportunity segments that show you who is most likely to give a large gift, is most likely to lapse, and most likely to give monthly. All this and much more is at the fingertips of fundraisers like you. No IT or data analyst required. Learn more at givingdna.com today. I'd love to break in for a moment and kind of talk practically about sort of how data silos happen and then what are some tactical ways that nonprofits can begin to get all of that data into one place so they can connect those dots between, you know, maybe what's happening with the same person in one channel that is also happening in another channel, but because maybe that data is locked up in two different technology solutions or two different pieces of, you know, just two different spreadsheets even. I love what you brought in, Becca, about getting all the right people in the room to kind of come together from a strategy perspective. But Mary Beth, like how do people, how do organizations who might have data all over the place start to bring it all into one place where they can start pulling those insights out of it? Great question. You know, and I think it's probably a little bit different for every organization. I mean, the number one thing is don't try to do it all at once. And, you know, and in most cases, you know, things are are positive, but, you know, getting the people in the room, agreeing that data is important because it's related to these donors and constituents. And, you know, what I've seen be successful are two things. One is really building on what you were saying, Becca, is in addition to sort of mapping the journey, it might be a different group of people that are also mapping all the different kind of data points. Mm -hmm. And I've had a few organizations who have, and again, you need sort of top-down support that that's important to take a pause and do that. And then just categorizing some things are in the red. It's going to take us two years to get there. Some things are yellow, some things we have now. And then you can you know, begin to sort of have a plan. And the stuff that is in the, the green, we can probably report on and use some data to inform quicker steps. The stuff in the yellow, sometimes you can take and just sort of you know, manually connect it to sort of inform some of the pieces. And the last part is just piloting, you know, like starting with a couple of, you know, chapters or departments or kind of segments of donors. And, you know, that can often get the buy-in as well. I mean, the biggest curse to moving these things forward is trying to map it all out perfectly on the wall and never moving the needle forward. You know, like, you know, we're humans. We need quick wins, show me, educate, you know, and keep reporting back. I I mean, I just want to underscore, underline exclamation point what you just said. If you do have the opportunity to kind of architect it all out, you're not going to be able to bring that to reality immediately. And so your red, yellow, green approach. So start with the green. 
and then the yellow and work your way through is so important. And I believe that we just need to take like that next step. So I keep thinking about, okay, what's the next right thing that we could do? What could we try or pilot over the next 30, 60, 90 days and get that part done? So green is your example. And maybe it takes six months. I don't know. Every organization is going to be different. But how do we create the space and the time for the innovative thinking to happen and the freedom to kind of try whatever the thing is that we want to try and then just try it? And then as we prove about that model, you can take you know, you can take on the next step. So that whole walk dog run approach, I think, is really important. And sometimes we just need to take a step back and look at the big picture and then say, okay, here's how we're going to move this forward. So I love the approach that you shared. I just wanted to underscore that. Well, and then, you know, to your question. Leah, you know, like kind of what are some steps? I mean, the other learning I think we have are, you know, what we just discussed. And, you know, it's also when we talk about who's at the table, it could be folks within the organization. But again, there's also multiple partners who are managing different parts. And I think it's really important to have them at the table because I've had folks say like, I can't believe we had all these conversations and didn't have this particular agency at the table because you know, once you bring them to the table, they add all this value, like, oh, I didn't know you could do that easily. And, you know, things start, you know, progressing faster, or there's just that awareness and understanding of of how the dots are connected. And, you know, because again, no one's intentionally trying to, you know, kind of (laughs) work against the silos. It's just the way we're set up and, and measured. So, you know, those type of moments, and I've just found making sure, you know, the partners are at the table too, because so many times they can help with, oh, let me just hit this list against your, you know, acquisition merge. And that will give us some other information to know about the potential. I mean, all sorts of examples. <laughs> I love that you talked about bringing partners into the room because A, they can help bring some expertise just with organizations they work with or have done similar work with. They can bring that expertise into the room, not, not to mention the additional data information that they can pull in and say, hey, if we do exactly what you said, bump this list against this list, we're going to get some data that could help us inform another decision. The other people sometimes at the room, since we did start in the room, since we did start talking about the donor journey or donor centricity, I don't want to to have this conversation without saying we should have the donors in the room too. There's probably the right time to bring them in. But as we start to formulate what that holistic point of view could look at, data can tell us part of the story but having a swath of your donors in the room to also give you feedback on the types of communications that they receive or would like to receive or case for support could also help inform, you know, that walk, jog, run strategy that we started to unpack a few moments ago. I think there's so many other requirements coming up for organizations and our fundraising, you know, just in general that need to look at individuals as well, which is going to push this forward. So some of our DEI initiatives, understanding for grants, kind of people who are participating in mission-related activities and donating. And, you know, I think that's also going to encourage some of this, you know, how do we work together on these things? Because it's beyond just our piece of the pie and what we're measured on. I want to underscore that too. I think coming off of the pandemic, well, not just the pandemic, just the year that was 2020, when so many things kind of came to light, the industry itself is in a place where silo busting is, it's right to happen because we're having to look at it. We have already had to look at so many things so differently and evolve our organization as we tried to figure out how to survive and get through 2020 and enter into what is now 2021. And so I think for me personally, I am excited and anxious to see how the nonprofit landscape itself starts to transition itself as they start to think about marketing and fundraising potentially more holistically and 
DEI more holistically as they think about their communities and that they're reaching out to and the donors that they are engaging with. And so I'm excited to see what evolves in 2021, just as an industry as a whole, as they think about silo busting and the donor experience in a whole new way. Mary Beth, before we wrap up for today, I'd love to get a story from you about how you applied this approach to a client and help them achieve all these wonderful outcomes that we just kind of outlined. Yeah, so I think two examples come to mind. You know, there's certainly some that are more complex, but some simple ones on that theme we talked about of sort of walk before we run. (laughs) You know, I've had situations where it was a client that, you know, had a lot of volunteering as part of their mission. But, you know, when you ask the question, you know, do you collect that information? They were just like, oh, gosh, it's in a drawer. It's somewhere, you know. You know, so I think, again, moving ahead, all the plates spinning, but sort of taking that and latching onto it and working with them and coming up with a pilot where we actually, you know, found a couple of the entities that had, you know, Excel spreadsheets of the volunteers and, you know, matched it up to the file and then show the value, then that could then substantiate further investment, you know, engagement to move it forward. And, you know, similarly, we've had a lot of situations with organizations that have big event, you know, events that have exploded and they're, you know, measured on growing that, growing that, growing that. But, you know, as I like to say, donors are people too. And, you know, sometimes they're participating in other parts of the organization and just, you know, showing the data to sort of get everyone to say, oh, you know, let me just, Think about that, internalize it. And, you know, many times what that's done to help move the process forward is just show we shouldn't be blacking them out because they're just going to be picked up in acquisition by somebody else. Or, you know, like there's all sorts of things that come out when you you bring the, the data forward, you know, or we're excluding them from our efforts, but they're being picked up by other organizations. And again, the organization ends up making the decision once they see the data, but it's it's just it's hard to picture when you're, you know, you're the lead on growing something and it's exploding, and then you know taking that pause and saying, but you know how do we then grow them to your point, Becca, up the pyramid? You know we have to look at them holistically. Mm-hmm. We've also had again that spirit of the pilot. You know anytime we're trying to move a function that might be centralized on behalf of other entities, oftentimes chapters or affiliate, you know, because many times you want to free them up so they can do more with fundraising or major gift fundraising. You know, you just have to sort of pull them off, pilot it, prove what's important for them, you know, how that one plus one will equal three, they'll benefit and you'll benefit and um, have them at the table as part of that review and discussion. I mean, so those are three, you know, very different ways, but I'd say examples of, you know, and those are all different silos as well. And we could probably talk about some between major gifts and fundraising and marketing Mm -hmm. too. You know, and just as Becca said before, I think it's all evolving with our times, Mm -hmm. you know, so I think the conversations are are positive. So I hope that helped. Very much so. Thank you so much. I am I'm with you. 2021, I one of the things I was talking about with a group of colleagues earlier today is just empowering the nonprofits themselves as well as the funders of nonprofits to give us a give time and space to allow us to innovate. And silo busting is a part of that innovation process. And so I am again super excited to see where 2021 takes us. 
Yeah. And I think with that, you know, there's also 2021, there's the power of kind of the analytics and, you know, artificial intelligence. And, you know, to your point, I'm really working on also having fundraisers feel empowered that things they know have to be brought to the table because, you know, analysts don't know everything. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's a combination of things we've learned or we're talking about and it's that balance. And I think sometimes people think, they know more than they're smarter than me. And it's, it's that, you know, combination of knowledge. So just trying to say, step up, you know, fight for what you know is true or mm-hmm. what you need. And that combination is what's going to be the win. I mean, that's so you just illustrated so. it's the art and the science. When those come together, that's where the magic really happens. <laughs> and yeah. the art of yeah. it, right? The data and the intelligence that we now have on our donors allows us to be smarter about our fundraising practices. But yeah. there needs to be a human element so that that art or um, the art of fundraising, we think about our giving DNA platform as augmented intelligence instead of artificial intelligence. Right. For that reason, we want our humans, both the clients that we work with and our strategists to play a role in informing how we should leverage that data to drive better results. And so I love what you just illustrated there. Thank you for saying it. That's good how, you know, simple words that can say, we're not replacing you, we're trying to support you. And I think that's part of this whole process. Thank you. (laughs) Well, Mary Beth, thank you so much for joining us today. And and Becca, it's always great to have you on the podcast when we can get some time with you. So thank you both for joining us today. Mm